Welcome to the PhD Talk podcast. I'm Eva Lansart, a professor in civil engineering and blogger on the side. And I am Sarah Cameron, PhD student and work in organizational psychology. In this podcast, we talk about PhD research and interview current PhD candidates, as well as those who work closely with them. We hope you'll stick around. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the PhD Talk podcast. Today, we are interviewing Dr. Mira Vasic. She has a PhD in structural engineering from Politecnico de Milano. And at the moment, she is the co-owner and senior partner of InTouch, which is a female leadership and career academy. So with this very brief introduction, I wanted to ask you, Mira, can you tell, tell us a bit about your background and your career path? And how did you go from structural engineering PhD to co-owner of a female leadership academy? Thank you so much, Eva, first of all, for having me today. It's really a pleasure to be with you in this podcast. Uh, so looking back, back at my background and my career path, I was born and raised in Serbia, in Europe. And by the time I was 13, my country was devastated by war and economic crisis. By the time I was choosing my university, it became quite clear that my passion lays in helping people, specifically helping people to rebuild their destroyed homes and protect their heritage buildings. So I enrolled civil engineering faculty and graduated from the Department of Constructions in 2010. In the meanwhile, I was awarded the Erasmus Mundus Scholarship for joining the Advanced Masters on Structural Analysis of Historical Buildings and Monuments. And that changed my life forever. I moved from Serbia to Spain and after that to Italy, where I lived for many years. Um, and I have graduated with a double degree from Polytechnic University of Catalonia and University, University of Padova as well. In my studies, I developed a deep passion for research and scientific investigation. So I went on and, uh, as you said, I enrolled uh, a PhD program at uh, Politecnico di Milano. Wonderful. Thank you. And in your, your PhD, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, what your research focus was? Yeah, of course. So in my past research, I developed a multidisciplinary approach for structural analysis of historical constructions with tie roads. I got the idea for this research project after severe damage was observed in one of uh, metallic tie roads in Duomo di Milano. Duomo di Milano is one of the largest cathedrals in the world, built over five centuries from 13th century to 17th century in Milan in Italy. Uh, for three years during my PhD, I studied the causes of such damage and I developed a method to predict damage in such severally uh, damaged elements, also how to repair them and how to prevent more serious damage to occur. I've used a blend of on-site dynamic testing, non-destructive investigation, numerical simulation, and I got my doctoral degree uh, in structural engineering from Politecnico di Milano in 2015. That's great and aligns very well with my research interest. Uh, could you tell us a bit about what you did after your PhD? What were the steps that you took after your PhD? 
Yeah, so just right after my PhD, I went for a postdoc in Pavia at the EU Center for, so for a European Research Center for Earthquake uh, Engineering. I stayed there for a, for a while and then I moved to the Netherlands. Uh, in Netherlands, I worked at different organizations. First, I joined the Applied Research Institute, PNO, and I worked there for more than three years as forensic engineer. So I investigated big, big collapses where injuries uh, were involved, where, where people died, uh, where big money was involved. And um, I really liked that job. But besides my engineering career, I always had a huge passion for helping women to get what they deserve. So I was always empowering women in my surroundings. I was giving them practical tips on you know, how they can get more influence on their own career and on the world how they can get properly paid for what they do and how they can get credits for their ideas. And all this because I believe that the world would be a better place if women would have more influence on the world. And actually, this is a joint vision that I share with my business partners and co-owners of InTouch Female Leadership and Career Academy, which I joined in 2020. Wonderful. Thank you. It's always interesting to hear about um, the the journey and the various steps along the way to end up uh, where you are now. And could you tell us a little bit more about what your day-to-day -day is like in your current role at InTouch and the things that you uh, spend most of your time working on? Yeah. So I train women to develop their strategic leadership skills and I help organizations to become more gender diverse and inclusive. So most of my activities are related to me giving workshops, trainings on topics of strategic leadership, uh, strategic negotiations, the unwritten feminine and masculine rules, um, unconscious gender bias, levels of power, levels of influence, and giving keynotes on these topics as well. That's so interesting. Can you tell us, or I should backtrack here and say, it looks like you made like a, a, a very large change in your career, but there's always an undercurrent of that you actually continue doing the things that you enjoy and that you like. So could you tell us a bit about the skills that you developed during your PhD and how they're relevant for the work that you're doing now, empowering women? So very early in my PhD career, I realized that networking and strategic influence are crucial for any career, but especially are crucial in academia. What I learned is how to recognize most influential players in the game of academia and how to influence them. For example, um, informal communication and decision-making processes play a large role in the actual outcomes of most organizational processes, even in higher education and research institutes. But in practice, decisions are often not made at the meeting table, but around, you know, the coffee machine, during post-conference dinners, uh, while giving a visiting lecture, while chairing a PhD defense. And a lot of men take care of business uh, in informal networks and during these informal meetings. So this often happens at traditionally man-dominated locations, such as as pub for drinks after works. But on the other hand, uh, women often tend to follow the official procedure. They wait to discuss their points of view in a meeting. 
And then only then they realize that the decision has already been made. What you mentioned, I think it's really interesting when you said that some of the parts which I was doing in my, let's say, previous career, uh, and then when I made my switch, I, I maintained that what remains are always the core values. One of my core values is helping people. So I was helping people to rebuild their homes, to protect their heritage as civil engineer. And now I'm helping women to develop themselves. So my core value always stays the same, no matter what job or function I have. Hmm. That that's so interesting, and I know there is actually literature as well on uh, core values being a good sort of predictor of uh, satisfaction in a role. And so that's nice to hear that even from the outside looking in, though the jobs might look very different, there's actually a common theme or common thread there that's um, probably led you both to the PhD, but also to the work you're you're doing now. You were talking before about how oftentimes decisions are made in more kind of informal contexts and that, so I'm curious what um, advice you would have for PhD students really on helping them find maybe more informal mentors, sponsors within academia. So, you know, not their direct supervisor or other maybe profs in their department, but um, just other people in academia who can give them that uh, feedback and guidance. Yeah. So usually uh, PhD students have their own supervisor, a thesis supervisor and a mentor. That was my case as well. I had two supervisors and one mentor. But what really makes a difference is if you have a sponsor. So sponsor is a person who actively promotes you. That is a person who sees opportunities, who creates opportunities for you. That is a person that you can trust in a business way, a person that opens network for you and that helps you to understand this unofficial hierarchy and the unwritten rules in academia. And of course, sponsorship is something that can be grown over time. So you don't have right away to reach out to a person and say, hey, do you want to be my sponsor? Uh, but it is also about reaching out to a person and saying, hey, it is very interesting what you are doing. I want to know more about your story, about your journey, about your research. And then you start going into conversations and maybe after one or two conversations, you realize, well, there is a match between us. And then after that, you can explicitly say, hey, I would really appreciate if you would open your network for me, if you would connect me with other research groups from your network, would you be my sponsor on my academic path? That's excellent advice. Um, what can women and women faculty do to be more empowered within the academia? So I believe that women should, first of all, be properly titled and paid for their work. The research shows that women to do about 30% more of than men of what we call administrative or not so meaningful work. Um, so educational institutions and gr research groups should cut the number of administrative tasks manual jobs or undervalued assignments that are given to women currently. And instead of that, they should give women projects that are visible, impactful for both themselves and their academic institutions. 
I believe also that um, institutions and research groups can and should encourage female colleagues to share their successes with the scientific community and the broader uh, world, but also to give them more access to partners from industry, to high-ranking conferences, to mentors and sponsors that we just spoke about. Those are great tips. Thank you. Um, And along a similar vein, uh, what advice would you have for female PhD candidates um, to cope with or, you know, prepare for the gender bias that unfortunately still exists in academia? The first step to coping with the gender bias is to become cognizant of the disparity in this office housework assignments that I just mentioned. The second step is to seek for an ally that can advocate for more equal distribution of these tasks. After that, I think women can actively seek to increase their visibility and to strengthen their position in the hierarchy. And don't think just, oh, I will do my best and everyone will see how good I am. Well, that's not how academia works at the moment. You have to make your successes visible. You have to celebrate them. You have to have a huge network that will support you. So you will not be seen as an individual, as a woman, but you will be seen as a strong researcher, which is part of a big research group. That's excellent advice. And it it reflects some of the things that I've learned the hard way uh, with my university here in Ecuador. At the beginning, I thought, well, they will just... If they want to know what I publish, they can just, you know, look it up in Scopus or Google Scholar and they will see. And it's only after a time that I realized that what I actually have to do is to send an email to the people higher in the hierarchy saying, hey, I just published a paper and it's here. Look what I did. And in the beginning, I had no idea. And I thought, why, why would I even do it? I can just look it up on the Internet and see what I work on. Yes, that that is indeed so. And and um what what happens is that women especially they tend we tend to be very modest and we tend to this kind of action that you now describe we tend to see that as as kind of bragging but what i always say if it is true then it's not bragging so while you keep everything true and you you really did publish that paper well for me that's that's an occasion to buy a cake and to celebrate all together Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're getting to the part of the general questions that we ask all our interviewees. And the first one is, what is your best piece of advice for PhD students? My advice would be, trust yourself. I've been so many times in my academic career questioned for the direction that I wanted to take in the research. And every time I trusted myself and it paid out at the end. Because your PhD research, but also your research topics, it has to be yours. It has to be you. And only that way you will come to the end. But what is also important is surround yourself with people who trust you, who see your potential and who can lift you and promote you. 
That's great advice. As someone who's, you know, just a few months into the PhD process, uh, I think it's there's often moments of self-doubt. Um, I think one of my old professors said to me once that um, competence breeds confidence. Um, but with a PhD, because the trajectories are so long, you don't often have many opportunities to show your competence. And so that's a great reminder just to... Um, yeah, uh, I guess keep that in the back of your mind that you're there for a reason. You've been offered a position for a reason um, and to trust your own uh, your own potential and your own abilities. So that's that's great advice. Thank you. Jumping topics a little bit. I, I'm just curious, uh, I guess, also in terms of advice, but how you personally set uh, boundaries for your work. I've learned maybe the harder way, uh, but now I put myself as priority on my daily agenda. So. I plan my time uh, by you always using the uh, principle of airplane mask. So if you don't put mask to yourself, you will not be able to put it to uh, other neither. So what I do, I um, first put my breaks, my lunch, my yoga practice in my calendar. Then I put time with my kids, my partner, and then comes my work. I also uh, realized that some of the small things which everyone can do can make really a huge difference. For example, I don't bring my phone to my bedroom anymore. Um, I keep my internet connection off on my phone unless I really have to use it. And um, I tend to stop reading anything digital at least one, one and a half hour before I go to bed. That's great advice. Um... Another question that we ask at all our interviewees is really the impact of COVID-19. How has it changed your job and your daily tasks? Well, there was a, a, a fortune and unfortunate that I did what they call a career switch just at the moment when pandem pandemics hit. Mm -hmm. So when, when COVID-19 started, I was still in my uh, role of expert advisor in the Dutch government at the Ministry of, Econ of Economic Affairs. And I was starting at InTouch. So I was doing two jobs in parallel. And of course, it was a, a huge change. It was a big roller coaster. I have three kids in a foreign country without family. And um, I only have my husband here. And that is harsh especially when such a pandemic hits and we have to go on working with homeschooling at home, uh, being um, isolated from other people, that, that is difficult. I'm very happy that my husband and I divide all the tasks and that works best. You know, my job uh, has been really booming since COVID-19 because I'm able to help even more women from all around the world since everyone got used to working online. And that is a positive side of that. But I have to acknowledge that it is a struggle. And I can imagine that for so many people around the world, it is still a big struggle. And last but not least, uh, what does a day in the life look like for you now at InTouch? Well, rather than a day in, in this stage of, of my career and in this way of work that I'm doing, entrepreneurship is a very particular way of working, I think in weeks. So while weekends are for spending time with my family, I, I tend not to work at weekends if that's possible for me. 
Uh, Monday morning is my own time. So I take Monday morning off for myself and I start the week at Monday noon. I meet with my project manager. She helps me to meet all the needs of my clients. And then I continue my afternoon with meetings. Tuesday and Thursday are the day when I most often typically give trainings, workshops and keynotes. And Wednesday mornings are my focus time, for example. Wednesday afternoon is when I'm off my work. I spend time with kids again. And Fridays, I do only personal coaching with individuals. And that creates a very nice entrance for the weekend to enjoy with the family. Thank you. This has been so great. I think we've learned a lot from your insights and uh, from, from your experience. So with that, I would like to thank you so much, Mira, for joining us in this interview today. You're really welcome. I thank you both of you. It was really a pleasure and uh, I'm honored to be your guest. Thank you. So this has been episode 55 of the PG Talk podcast in which we interviewed Dr. Mira Vasic um, on her career path and on how you can empower women in academia from PhD candidates to faculty. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll be back next week with more on PhD life and research mechanics. Thank you so much for listening. <music>